Hello, I'm Andrew, and welcome to this week's edition of the Black Country Talking News for the 7th of February, 2024. Hello. And welcome to the Black Country Talking News, brought to you by the sight loss charity Beacons. We're pleased to confirm that the Talking News is now available via Alexa. Once you've enabled the Talking Newspapers skill, all you need to do is play Talking Newspapers and ask for the Black Country Talking News. Our Talking News service is also available via the free Wireless for the Blind app. It can be found on the Beacon Centre website www.beaconvision.org forward slash talking dash news. As a podcast via services such as Apple or Spotify or as a free CD, simply contact Beacon Centre on 01902 We hope you enjoy this week's edition. Reading for you this week, we have myself, Andrew, Angela, Ian, Pete, Christine, Helen, Mina, Simon, and of course, not forgetting, Flashback Roger. In this week's edition, we have an update from Beacon, the quiz with Mina. We have the latest news for the black country all the latest football news from wolves and west brom a did you know section from flashback roger hopefully mina can bring us a much calmer forecast with the weather for the week ahead local news to start though with ian christine but first angela The construction of a significant structure for the Wensbury to Briley Hill Metro extension has entered the final stages of delivery. The purpose-built infrastructure, which stands at over 6.2 metres high, will serve as the junction between the new extension and the existing operational route. It's been delivered by Midland Metro Alliance, the organisation designing and delivering metro expansions on behalf of Transport for West Midlands since 2022. There will be no metro services between Wensbury and Birmingham City Centre for 18 days during March and April when work is being completed. Andy Street, Mayor of the West Midlands, who visited the structure last week, said This is a crucial milestone in the construction of the new extension through Sandwell and Dudley and will link the new extension to the existing line. Talked about for decades, we're now actually making it happen. We are now within touching distance and set to see a service open to Dudley within a year. This is good news for local people and businesses in Sandwell and Dudley who can look forward to a rapid and frequent tram service offering vastly improved links to the wider region. Our investment in the Metro offers residents a convenient alternative to the car, helps us tackle the climate emergency and draws in investment that supports the regeneration of our much-loved towns and cities. As the project enters its final phase, preparations are underway for a crucial next step, which will see the new track integrated with the existing operational line during the Easter period. 
these essential activities will result in some disruption to West Midlands Metro services, with no operations between Wensbury and Birmingham City Centre from Saturday the 23rd of March until Tuesday, April the 9th. Alternative travel options will be available throughout to minimise the inconvenience caused to anyone affected by these changes. Further information, including revised timetables and alternative travel arrangements, will be available from the operator's website in the coming weeks. Throughout both phases of work, Metro services between Wolverhampton and Wensbury will be unaffected, ensuring continued provision on this part of the route. Black Country Railway stations are among 75 across the region to be fitted with new tap-in, tap-out technology to make paying for train fares quicker and easier. Stourbridge Junction and Town, Lye, Old Hill, Rowley Regis, Coesley and Dudley Port are to get the new technology as part of a pilot scheme announced by the Rail Minister last Thursday. The tech will enable passengers to pay the best price for travel with no need to plan or search for the right ticket from 2025, rail bosses have said. Passengers will be able to use contactless debit or credit cards to enjoy London-style capped fares over a day or a week, knowing they will not overpay and can continue to travel at no charge once a cap is reached. The project is part of the government's plans to reform the railways and a result of the Trailblazer Deeper Devolution Deal agreed last year, which gives the West Midlands Combined Authority and West Midlands Rail Executive a greater say in how railways are run. It will also pave the way for the future rollout of similar tech to more stations across the North and the Midlands, funded in part by £100 million reallocated from HS2. Rail Minister Hugh Merriman said, We want to encourage more people back onto our trains, with tapping technology meaning using our stations couldn't be easier. Our railways have a long history, but projects like these, part of the government's wider plans for reform, will ensure they have a bright future too. The West Midlands pilot will cover 75 stations across the Transport for West Midlands TFWM, area and use existing Swift smart cards so passengers can travel on local bus and tram services as well. Andy Street, mayor of the West Midlands, said our Swift smart card already enables passengers to transfer seamlessly between our various local bus operators and metro tram services whilst guaranteeing they get best value fares. Now, thanks to this pilot scheme, we will now add rail to our offering, making Swift truly multimodal and bringing us much closer to a London Oyster Card style system. This is a practical example of how the deeper devolution deal we agreed with government is delivering tangible benefits for local people right across our region. The project will see the number of tap-in, tap-out stations in England rise to around 500 in 2025. 
The news comes as the Rail Delivery Group and industry partners, supported by £16.4 million of DFT funding, completed the final phase of rolling out barcoding technology, allowing customers to scan digital tickets at the gate. And in line with the pilot scheme, tram conductors will also be given new roles to make way for the proposed tap-and-go system. Although no starting date has yet been announced for the £18 million integrated system, it is thought conductors will be redeployed to other jobs when the new system is eventually introduced. Tram operator Midland Metro Alliance and system owner Transport for West Midlands said the changes were part and parcel of the work underway to improve the network, including Phase 1 of the Wensbury to Briarley Hill tram extension, which is underway, and the Dudley Interchange scheme. Passengers, who will be updated ahead of any changes coming into force, have been quick to raise their concerns. One commuter from Bilston said they would be happy to use the tap-and-go system, but were concerned about safety on the carriages if conductors were removed, and added... I like the conductors being on the tram. I think they do a good job. The conductors I talk to are very nice. I get the tram every day and they always say good morning. But it is the security as well. They have body cameras now, so if someone wasn't to pay, they can enforce it. What happens if someone doesn't scan in, but then I do? Another regular tram user said, I prefer to have a conductor. We have had machines at the tram stations before and they weren't very good. They broke down. A new £18 million computer system was being developed to run the payment system funded by the City Region Sustainable Transport Settlement. Transport for West Midlands bosses hope the multi-operator contactless ticketing system will help to create a transport system for a convenient, cost-efficient and value-for-money service. It follows the launch of the region's £88 million bus service improvement plan to increase service frequency and reduce fares. Research has also revealed that a tap-and-cap system would save black country young people money as well as boost bus and tram operators. Research by Transport Body Midlands Connect has shown a student studying at Birmingham City Centre Universities and commuting from areas surrounding Stourbridge would save £56.13 a year due to smart ticketing. More local news to follow, but now we have another bulletin of practical information and sight loss tips from Pete. If you're struggling with reading and need a magnifier, have you ever considered a video magnifier or sometimes known as a digital magnifier? Well, we can have a range of video magnifiers that you can come in and try. Now, a video magnifier, you can increase or decrease the magnification so you can turn it up a bit or you can turn it up quite a lot to help you read. You can change contrast settings on a video magnifier so you can look at something in true colour or you could change the contrast to black on white or white on black or yellow on black or black on yellow. It's whatever works best for you, so there's a range of combinations there that you can try to find the right one. You can also freeze images on a video magnifier. So let's say there's um, something in your fridge, a piece of some food, 
you could take a little picture because the angle's a bit difficult to read of it and then bring the magnifier away and then zoom it up. So if it's something like the sell-by dates or ingredients on food, you can read it comfortably there. So video magnifiers range from small handheld magnifiers you can sit comfortably in an armchair to read with up to medium-sized ones, which is about the size of laptops, and then there's desktop magnifiers with big, large 24-inch screens, which really make magnification strong. So, if you would like to try a video magnifier to see if that would help you, you're very welcome to. Just call Beacon's Sight Loss Advisors for an appointment. And remember, bring something you struggle to read with you. So if you'd like to try a video magnifier, give us a call on 01902 and ask for a sight loss advisor. 01902 Thanks a lot for that update. Up next, we have another block of local news. A new lease of life is being breathed into a city centre building which has laid empty for several years. Victorian-era Queen's Building, next to Wolverhampton bus station, will be used for a new community project that will help people to shop for affordable food with dignity. Last Friday, the leader of Wolverhampton Council joined leading figures from the Good Shepherd and the Wars Foundation, as well as staff, volunteers, ambassadors and service users of both charities at the official launch of the Central Community Shop. Built in 1849, Queen's Building has laid empty for several years since being vacated by Costa Coffee. The shop has also been joined at the same location by a new pomegranate social enterprise cafe, while the next stage is to develop a multi-use space on the first floor, aiming to deliver support and interventions that alleviate poverty, build financial stability and offer training and employability guidance. Funds raised from the community cafe will be invested into the Good Shepherd's free-to-access food and support services and other charitable activities. The shop is the flagship store of a network of community shops which offer residents from across the city the opportunity to register and buy food at affordable prices. Good Shepherd CEO Tom Hayden said, the new community shop was the next step for the charity, which has been providing hot meals and crisis support across Wolverhampton for more than 50 years. He said, It's the culmination of so much work over the last 12 months, but I think more importantly, it's the evolution of our services and a different way for us to meet the need of people in the city, so it's really exciting. The partnership work is utilising all our different resources, so having an asset like this building is fantastic, as it's being supported by the local authority and our expertise around delivering food and financial support, alongside the Foundation's work with a feeder pack, is really playing to our strengths. The shop offers more than just a place to get affordable food as it can help people to access free services and can be a progression route for people to move on and overcome their crises. 
Plus, the cafe is really exciting as we can offer two people employment opportunities and provide help for people. The initial opening hours for the central community shop are between 10am and 2pm from Tuesday to Thursday with an annual membership for the price of £3. Independent crafting studios and small businesses at Wordsley's Red House Glasscone are inviting visitors to see what they have to offer at an open day on Saturday, February the 10th. Studios will open from 11am until 4pm across the site as part of the open day. Organised by business owners with help from Briley Hill and Wordsley South councillors Adam Davis and Wayne Little. Councillor Davis said, Everyone knows the cone, but for those who haven't been on site before, they might not know about the fantastic hub of small businesses and crafting studios that are based here all year round. That's why we're working with Carly and the other businesses to organise this open day, inviting people from near and far to come along and see what's on offer. Carly Grandini-Williams, General Manager at Saz's Ceramics and Crafts, said, It's going to be a great opportunity for family and friends to come along to the cone and see all the incredible skills of our independent artists and have a go at an activity too. Saz's Ceramics and Crafts will hold a pop-up make-and-take experience and a clay hand-building demonstration. Tandem Crafts will host story time and craft time sessions. Glass Quarter Designs have a Suncatcher workshop and I Love Pebbles is running Paint-A-Pet Pebble classes for kids. Kirk Andrews Art will be showcasing work in the courtyard and Blowfish Glass is hosting interactive glass blowing experiences, making glass fruit, which can be pre-booked on the company website. Councillor Little added, these small businesses are all still open while the improvement works at the cone take place. So we hope lots of people will come along and support the event. The museum and visitor centre shop are open seven days a week and are free to visit. Visitors are invited to bring picnics to enjoy by the canal side or in the courtyard. And residents of the Black Country are also being invited to get an up-close look at the inside of an historic canal lock as it gets a much-needed refurbishment. The Canal and River Trust is giving members of the public the unique opportunity to go behind the scenes into the temporarily drained Lock 7 on the old mainline canal in Wolverhampton at the end of February. They will be able to see up close the refurbishment of the 250-year-old canal lock, which includes the replacement of the 1.7-tonne handcrafted oak lock gates. The Trust is replacing the worn-out lock gates, repairing historic brickwork, as well as carrying out other conservation works, as part of a major programme of winter repairs along its 2,000 miles of historic canals across England and Wales. The repairs, which require the water to be temporarily drained, are taking place over the winter months when fewer boats are using the canal network. The Trust Specialist Carpenters at Braidley in the West Midlands have handcrafted the lock gates, part of the Trust's work to protect the historic lock and help ensure that the old mainline canal is kept open and safe for boats and people on the towpath to enjoy. 
lock gates are typically changed every 25 years. And so on Saturday, February the 24th and Sunday, February the 25th, the Trust is offering the public the rare opportunity to walk the drained lock chamber. Visitors to the free event, which has been supported by local company Thomas Dudley Limited with a £5,000 donation, will get the chance to chat with the skilled team carrying out the works and find out what goes into protecting the historic canal network. There will also be the opportunity to take part in a range of canal-themed family-friendly activities. Adrian Safe, Director of West Midlands Canal and River Trust, said... The old mainline canal dates to the first days of the Industrial Revolution and is still used and navigated by boats, as it has been for hundreds of years. We can't wait to welcome the public to come and see behind the scenes at our lock open weekend. It's a great spectacle and a fantastic opportunity for people to find out more about the canals on their doorstep and the skill and knowledge of the people caring for them. The nation's canal network is standing up to the test of time and is a piece of living history that everyone can enjoy. Come along and discover how we keep canals alive today. The Wolverhampton Locks Open Weekend takes place on Saturday, February the 24th and Sunday, February the 25th from 10am to 4pm. The event and all activities are free and open to all, but donations are welcome on the day to support the Trust's work. To book a free tour visit, go to canalrivertrust.org.uk. Now it's time to test your knowledge, as we have the quiz questions for this edition brought to us by Mina. Hello and welcome to this week's Flashback Quiz. All the answers you need can be found later in Flashback Rogers' Did You Know feature. But for now, these are your questions. Question 1 What was the name of the stamp introduced in 1840? Question 2 where did Royal Mail have its own underground railway? Question 3. What did Royal Mail do in 1800s to fix their mouse problems? Question 4. How many deliveries of post per day was once enjoyed? Question 5. How many rubber bands does Royal Mail use? Question 6. 
And finally, question six. Other than our late queen, who is the only other head to be pictured on our stamps during her reign? I will be back later in the show to give you all your answers. But for now, best of luck! Cheers for those questions, Mina. Hmm, I'll get my mind working on them. Up now, however, is another block of local news. Recruits for the government's new free childcare scheme are being offered £1,000 to sign up in four areas of the West Midlands. Wolverhampton, Walsall, Sandwell and Birmingham are being targeted by a new recruitment drive to meet demand for the scheme which will provide free childcare for youngsters aged two. The Department for Education said more than 102,000 parents had already signed up for the new scheme, which will offer 15 hours free childcare a week for all working parents of two-year-olds beginning in April. The recruitment drive comes just a week after the Prime Minister admitted there had been difficulties in setting up the scheme. The cash offer, which is available in 20 local authorities across the country, coincides with last week's launch of a new national recruitment campaign featuring television, cinema, radio and online advertisements under the slogan Do Something Big. The campaign will look to boost recruitment across the sector by highlighting the vast array of childcare career routes and progression opportunities offering on-the-job training, flexible hours and most importantly, chance to shape and support young lives. Education Secretary Gillian Keegan said parents shouldn't have to choose between a career and a family and our expanded childcare offer is going to make sure of that. From April, hundreds of thousands of parents of two-year-olds will get 15 funded hours. This is good for families and good for the wider economy, ultimately putting more money in parents' pockets at the end of the month. Employment Minister Joe Churchill added that the scheme formed part of a plan that would help a million people get back into work. We know just how essential accessible childcare is for working parents, which is why we've increased the amount parents on universal credit are able to claim from £1,108 to £1,630 a month for two or more children, she said. The government's expanded childcare offer also presents new opportunities in the sector, and we know how a career in childcare can be incredibly rewarding. With the expansion of free childcare, parents across the country, including those on universal credit, can return to work, extend their hours or look for new opportunities, confident that their children are well taken care of. The childcare scheme will be further extended to youngsters aged from 9 months to 3 years old in September next year. Patients at a GP practice in Wolverhampton will be the first in the city to be invited to test online NHS health checks. Selected patients at Whitmoreen's medical practice will be able to complete the digital checks before a face-to-face appointment with their GP that enable them to give a blood sample and have a blood pressure check. In some cases, people will be sent kits to take a blood sample at home. 
the council said the online checks gave residents the opportunity to complete much of their regular health MOT from home. The trial is part of the government's plan to increase uptake of NHS health checks, which are designed to prevent stroke, kidney disease, heart disease, type 2 diabetes and some types of dementia. The checks are available every five years to adults aged between 40 and 74. Councillor Jaspir Jaspal said the NHS health check is a bit like a midlife MOT and can help prevent you from developing various health conditions by spotting any early signs of problems and making lifestyle changes. We are pleased to be part of this trial, which will give some of our residents the chance to complete much of their NHS health check from the comfort of their own home. As part of the trial, eligible residents may receive an invitation via SMS or email from their GP practice to complete much of their NHS health check online. Everyone else will continue to be offered an in-person NHS health check in the usual way. Ms Jaspel added, We think this will prove popular by people who are time poor or, for whatever reason, are unlikely to attend a face-to-face health check with their GP. It will also help to free up GP time for more urgent appointments. Now then, I was out getting the groceries over the weekend and had the unfortunate incident of a stack of toilet rolls falling on me in the supermarket. I'm okay though, it's just soft tissue damage. Well, quickly flushing away that terrible attempt at humour, here's something for you. The next time you take hold of a toilet roll and or some kitchen roll, there is every chance it was actually manufactured right here in the black country. Established in 2007, Task Consumer Products at Citygate Park, Ford Houses, is now listed in the top 100 fastest growing private companies in the UK, turning out more than 100,000 tonnes of household paper products every year. The family firm in Wolverhampton that manufactures kitchen and toilet rolls has announced 50 new jobs after being given the go-ahead to build a new £30 million production plant at its premises. The company's expansion plan, which follows a successful application by Sherborne Paper Limited and Stowford Properties Limited earlier this month, will see its workforce increased to 178 full-time employees. Councillor Simon Bennett who represents the Bushbury North Ward, where the firm is located, sits on the council's planning committee and spoke in favour of the application. He said, Task consumer products are a powerhouse in their industry, with a 15% market share, and it is an enormous vote of confidence in our city that they have chosen to expand operations at their site, creating dozens of jobs in the process. This means more jobs for residents in the Bushbury North Ward and more opportunities for the near 8,000 people who are unemployed in our city. There are tremendous opportunities here. During the application hearing, planners were told that the development would mean the loss of part of a site of local importance for nature conservation, Slink. 
However, the firm has put forward a compensatory payment for the loss of part of the slink to be spent on improvements to Penderford Mill Nature Reserve and Northicott Farm. Stoford Planning Director Joe Russell said, The task site is also of local importance for nature conservation. Through our proposals, we will look to improve areas on the site through bird and bat boxes, pollinator posts, log piles and so forth. We have also agreed with officers for a £200,000 contribution payable to off-site nature improvements. More local news to follow, but now Pete's got an idea to help with the visual discomfort of sunshine. If you need help with sight loss, then filter glasses might help you. Filter glasses are a range of glasses especially for sight loss, designed to protect your eyes from harmful UV rays and reduce glare and bright light, and also improve contrasts as well. They make things clearer to see and your eyes more comfortable. They can either be worn on their own, or you can wear them over your existing prescription glasses. Wearing a sun hat or a baseball cap or a sun visor can also help too. So if you'd like to try the range of Cocoon filter glasses and find the right lens and frame to make life a bit more comfortable for you, then call Beacon Sight Loss Advisors for an appointment. You can call on 01902 880 111 and ask for a sight loss advisor. Sixty-six years on from the tragic, shocking events of the 6th of February 1958, we pay tribute to a player, teammate and timeless black country icon lost to the Munich air disaster. Duncan Edwards, the world's first total footballer, What made Duncan Edwards great was not the power of his shooting or the accuracy of his passing, nor was it his strength in the tackle, ability to win the ball in the air, or even the extraordinary speed that enabled his 13 and a half stone frame to glide from one end of the field to the other, seemingly without leaving a footprint. What made Edwards great was his ability to string all these skills together, often in a single passage of play minute after minute, week after week, game after game. Twenty years before the concept was even a twinkle in the Dutch coach Rinus Michels' eye, in Edwards, England had the world's first total footballer, and he hailed from the black country. He is, observed then Manchester United manager Matt Busby, shortly after a 17-year-old Edwards had signed professional forms, the most complete player I've ever seen. Busby had pulled out all the stops to secure the talents of the schoolboy from the black country. Duncan was up for grabs in 1952, fresh from a series of compelling exploits with England schoolboys, every major club in the land desperate to acquire his services. The hot favourites to sign him were Wolverhampton Wanderers, a burgeoning power in the game under the iron-fisted guidance of manager Stan Cullis, and whose Molyneux headquarters were only half a dozen miles up the road from the Edwards' home. 
But Busby, who had boldly opted to stake Manchester United's future on a refreshing youth policy, was acutely aware that there was no more precious youngster in Britain than Duncan. Accordingly, the Old Trafford boss made his move and drove south through the night, rousing the 15-year-old from his slumbers and convincing him to put pen to paper in the early hours of his 16th birthday, the 1st of October that year. His full debut came when he was 16, in April 1953, barely eight months after signing schoolboy forms. Busby had little doubt he was dealing not only with a boy of special talent, but one who was fiercely committed to capitalising on his gifts. When Busby talked, Edwards hung on every word, only breaking eye contact when it was clear his boss had nothing more to share. Though he operated mostly as a left half, Edwards was comfortable just about anywhere. He could be deployed as a tough tackling defender, and when required in attack, he was a devastating forward. In Duncan Edwards, I believe I have the greatest footballer in the world, said Busby in 1957. John Charles is bigger and has all the skills. Alfredo Di Stefano is a mature artist. But Duncan can play anywhere, without question, and do a great job. He always wants to be involved. During five years as a professional at Manchester United, Edwards was involved in 175 league and cup matches, scoring 21 goals, winning two titles and an FA Cup. The Munich air crash, after which he clung to life for 15 days, amazing doctors with his stamina and tenacity, robbed us of a precious talent. Those who saw him feel he could have been one of the game's most decorated players. Jimmy Murphy, assistant manager and unofficial minder of the Busby Babes, said Edwards was worth half a team alone. So how did it feel to play alongside him? To have a 40-yard crossfield pass land on your toe? Or experience the tremor as a 50-50 battle for possession ended with him once more emerging barrel-chested and imperious ball at his feet. According to the late Sir Bobby Charlton, it was pretty good. I remember playing with him in an Army Cup tie, wrote Sir Bobby in My Soccer Life. We were 4-2 down, with the game nearly over, so Duncan switched to centre-forward. In 10 minutes he scored 4, and we won 7-4. Though every United player of the era was grateful to have him on their side, even a talent like Charlton was awestruck. Duncan didn't set out to make anyone feel inferior, but that's the effect he had upon me. I couldn't imagine ever being as good as he was. Duncan Edwards led a simple existence. Football was his life. He enjoyed fishing and the company of his friends, mostly teammates, but was not a regular in the pubs and clubs. His most notorious misdemeanour, aside from the occasional booking, was a 10 shilling fine for riding his bicycle without lights, a crime for which he was docked two weeks' wages. His greatest extravagance was a car, which, tragically, he never got to drive, and his idea of a big night out was a trip to the cinema and a fish and chip supper. He was a gifted player and knew it, 
but Edward's monster talent did not fuel a similarly sized ego. He was arrogant, but not in an objectionable way, Charlton recalled in 1984. It was just that he knew he was a great player. There was no conceit in Duncan, but no question marks in his mind either. He didn't have to be told he was the top man. Edwards inspired fans too. On match days, hordes of autograph hunters loitered outside the ticket office. After securing his bicycle to a drainpipe with string, Edwards would corral his admirers into a line, signing dutifully one by one. Even today, fans make pilgrimages to his grave at Dudley Cemetery. Edwards had an interesting effect on those who watched him, wrote Morris Edelston and Terence Delaney in the 1960 classic book Masters of Soccer. Perhaps it was with his youth and energy that he represented the fulfilment of our secret wishes. He was so vigorous and matter-of-fact, he made anything seem possible. And one such fan is black country historian Dave Barrett, who has devoted his life to detailing the life and times of his sporting hero. So much so, with the help of his fellow lifelong Tipton-born friends and enthusiasts David Harrison and Alan Hughes, he has now published his work in a new book. Dave first became aware of the footballing star in 1952 when he was just five years old. The Barretts had moved temporarily from their Tipton home to temporary accommodation on Dudley's Priory estate. The house in Beach Road was just a short walk to Elm Road where Duncan grew up. As strong as an ox and as quick as a viper, Duncan was a remarkable individual who defied his tender age. A life cut devastatingly short, but one that achieved so much in just 21 years, is relived through Dave's research in a new book entitled Duncan Edwards, A Black Country Colossus, published by Empire Publications. Up next, it's trivia time, brought to us by Flashback Roger and his Did You Know feature. Take it away, Roger. again everyone well here we are again and this week i've got some little known quips about things in our everyday lives this week i've been taking another look at one of our national institutions the royal mail so off we go now then did you know that our daily postal service is called the royal mail because when king james i introduced it it was for the exclusive use of royal letters between london and edinburgh his son Charles I made it available to the public in 1635, and back then it was the recipient of the letter who paid, not the sender. That continued to be the case until 1840, when Sir Rowland Hill of Kidderminster introduced the penny black stamp which the sender had to purchase. 
and from 1927 to 2003, the Royal Mail in London had its own underground rail system. It was called the Mail Rail. The line ran from Paddington Head Sorting Office to Eastern Head Sorting Office in Whitechapel. It operated 19 hours a day for 286 days per year and carried around 4 million letters a day. Back in the 19th century, postal carriers used cloth sacks to deliver mail, but mice quite fancied the cloth sacks and would chew holes in them. So, in 1868, the Royal Mail started to recruit cats to fix their mouse problem and paid each cat a nominal wage per week. The last Royal Mail cat named Blackie died in 1984. Now though, they use plastic bags and that solves the milk problem. At one point and at its height, mail was delivered seven times a day and people sent two million postcards per day. The frequency of delivery made the postal service timing as close to email as the turn of the century got. A postcard sent in the morning could travel so fast it could be delivered by the afternoon. And the Royal Mail uses 342 million rubber bands per year to bundle up letters and packages. They use red rubber bands so that the letters can be more easily spotted. Incidentally, if any red bands are found dropped in the street or on your drive, then they can be just popped into any post box to be collected and reused. And having one's head featured on a stamp was usually a position reserved for the monarchy, and the first commoner to feature on a stamp was that of William Shakespeare in 1964. The stamp was released to commemorate the 400th anniversary of the famous writer's birth. Well then, there we have it, a little glimpse into the national institution of our postal service, and I can't go without mentioning postman Pat and his cat Jess. The little characters were actually sponsored by Royal Mail until 2000, and they decided that it didn't suit their image anymore. Well, what about that then? Who'd have thought it? Seven deliveries a day. Lucky to get that many a month. Apart from the junk mail, of course, that is. Any road up, I'm off. Think I'll go and check my premium bonds. I live in hope, don't I? Anyway, till next week then, I'll just say bye for now. Ta-ra a bit. Ta-ra. Up now we have to hear what the weather has in store for us. Brought to us, come rain or shine, by our own Sunny Mina. After a relatively dry few days, the weather for the week ahead is forecast to become little more unsettled, with plenty of showers, and with a bitter easterly blast, temperatures dipping to something colder too. UV levels are expected to remain low. The sunrise and sunset times are 7.30am for the sunrise and 5.15pm for the sunset. Friday 9th February is forecast to be wet and breezy with spells of light rain expected throughout the day. Temperatures are expected to be around 9 degrees and will hold up overnight at around 5 degrees. Moving on and no real surprise here as the spell of rain looks set to remain with some cold polar air coming down from the north Temperatures will be unpredictably cold on both Saturday and Sunday. With a slight chance, the Scandinavian cold front may bring some snow and freezing air too. 
On to next week, where the spell of wet weather will continue to dominate once again, with plenty of light rain and drizzle to look out for as we begin the week. It is forecast for rain to remain in the region on Monday 12th of February and continue right through to Thursday 14th of February. With the region being stuck with a breeze from the north temperatures will continue to struggle getting no higher than 5 degrees. The showers are forecast to be persistent throughout the week but there's a chance of some brief sunny intervals breaking through as we go through the week. With Thursday looking like it will provide the best opportunity for some dry sunny spells perfect for those valentine plans. So there we have it yet again a mixed bag of showers sprinkled with some spells of sunshine and possibly something a little wintry for the week too. As always, do take care and enjoy the weather. Cheers for that weather update, Mina. Now it's time to find out how our local football teams have been getting on. There was no room for sentiment at the Hawthorns on Saturday as a former Villa and Wolves forward broke Birmingham City and a returning former Baggies manager's heart on his home Albion debut with a memorable 85th minute winner in what felt like a significant victory. Right from the get-go, Albion looked a threat through Furlong's long throw-ins and Jed Wallace's deliveries, but a sleepy first half rarely sparked into life and was typified when Thomas Asante and Wallace both spurned fine openings from close range after excellent work from Fellows and John Swift to find them in space in the box. Mowbray's men looked bright but were kept at bay, with Bartley marshalling the home rearguard well. Both championship outfits struggled to carve out much of note. Albion's moves broke down frustratingly, typified by a lack of cohesion and many misplaced passes. The second period sparked into life significantly more and it didn't take long for the baggies to pin the Blues back. But with Alex Moat firing wide and Thomas Asante lashing his effort off target, the home side had seemingly still not found their scoring boots. Albion remained dominant and on the hour coach Corberan opted to introduce his new recruits. Marshall, Johnston and former Villa and Wolves frontman Andy Weimann were offered their time to shine. But the flurry of changes stunted the contest as a spectacle somewhat, and shots at goal became less frequent. With the Hawthorns subdued, Mowbray's men grew in confidence. The visitors looked the more likely to break the deadlock, and a huge let-off for the home side arrived 18 minutes from time when Andre Dozel's corner was met by Kevin Long, who flicked an effort onto the far post. Fortunately for the baggies, the ball sailed back across the goal line into the grateful arms of Palmer. Everybody thought it was in. More Blues set pieces caused further last-ditch defending from the home side, as Corberan's side dug in. It would go on to be worthwhile as January loan signing Andy Weimann introduced himself to the Hawthorns faithful in the best possible way. The Austrians' prodded, instinctive finish and smart forward movement was genius. It was some moment. A dramatic late winner to the delight of 20,000 baggies. 
Sadly, yet another game at the Hawthorns was marred by an unsavoury incident which brought about a pause in play. As the visitors Juninho Bakuna alerted officials and the dugout to an issue he seemed to have with the crowd near the dugout. Following the match, West Midlands Police have confirmed they've opened an investigation into an allegation of racist abuse. Ten long minutes passed without further incident and referee David Webb's whistle was greeted by antics from Andy Weiman. The match winner marking full-time with a 1-0 signal and a huge roar of joy in front of an away end who were less than impressed. Albion's gap to 7th in the championship is now up to 4 points. More significant still was a return to winning ways after league and cup defeats and the impact of options from the bench for Corberan, who for the first time this season was able to turn behind him and use depth in the hunt of a late goal. And after the glut of late goals in last week's 4-3 midweek defeat to Manchester United at Molyneux, Wolves were on the right end of yet another high-scoring classic Premier League encounter. Mateus Cunha scored his first Premier League hat-trick as Wolves completed the double over Chelsea for the first time in 49 years with a sensational 4-2 victory at Stamford Bridge. An open and free-flowing start saw early chances created by both teams. Neto and Cunha drew a pair of saves from Petrovic, whilst Chelsea were prevented from taking the lead by a last-gasp challenge from Craig Dawson. However, Cole Palmer made no mistake with the home side's second chance when he latched onto a through ball to bury a tidy finish into the bottom corner in the 19th minute. But Gary O'Neill's Wolves proved why they are one of the most resilient teams in the league, with the old gold levelling the contest less than two minutes after falling behind. João Gomes, who produced a strong first-half display, broke up play with a fine challenge just inside the Chelsea half. Bursting forward into the final third, the midfielder Fed Cunha, whose strike deflected off their Brazilian compatriot Thiago Silva to wrong-foot Petrovic. Wolves were buoyed and the informed Pedro Neto was proving to be a constant thorn in Chelsea's side, almost completing a mesmerising run from the halfway line until Thiago Silva stopped him in his tracks. And just before the break, Wolves took the lead. A sublime passage of play saw Wolves work the ball across the pitch to feed Neto down the right flank. The Portugal international again showed great speed skill and composure to square a perfect cross for Raya Ainuri, whose finish took a heavy deflection to bamboozle Petrovic. A huge slice of luck, but it was just desserts for some expansive and courageous play. Wolves showed no sign of resting on their laurels in the second half, and yet another lung-busting run into the box by Neto set the tone for the rest of the second period. He could only draw a comfortable save from Petrovic on that occasion, but the Wolves winger proceeded to run Chelsea's defence ragged. Chelsea slowly got themselves back into the game, creating a few chances of their own. But there was always a sense that this was Wolves' afternoon, and that's exactly how it proved when Cunha doubled their advantage to reach double figures for the campaign. Neto was the catalyst yet again as he galloped away from his marker and timed his pullback to perfection for the on-running Cunha to sit down Petrovic and dispatch the ball beyond him with a classy finish. 
Wolves almost scored a fourth immediately after, when Cunha lifted a sumptuous cross to the back post, but Sarabia was unable to keep his effort down. In what seemed more like an act of desperation, Chelsea made a raft of changes, but without a natural number nine leading the line, they continued to miss guilt-edged chances, and they were made to rue such mistakes when Cunha was chopped down inside the penalty area by Malo Gusto. Cunha subsequently sent Petrovic the wrong way by calmly rolling his finish into the bottom corner from the spot. The Brazilian scoring his first hat-trick in the English top flight and his first for any club since scoring a treble for Swiss outfit FC Sion in 2018. The Brazilian international simultaneously extended his season tally to 11 goals, which is the most he has scored in a single campaign during his career. Wolves were made to sweat for the closing stages when Thiago Silva reduced the deficit to two after glancing in a header from a corner. After the chaotic ending to Thursday night's game at Molyneux, nerves were jangling when the fourth official added 10 minutes of stoppage time and they intensified further when Jackson Martinez found himself bearing down on goal. Craig Dawson produced a superb last-ditch challenge to deny him before Kilman blocked Palmer's shot on the follow-up. Wolves held on and Cunha's maiden Premier League treble stunned Chelsea as Wolves defeated them 4-2 on home soil to claim a first victory at Stamford Bridge since 1979. The victory also saw the two teams trade places in the league table, with Wolves climbing into the top half of the table for the first time this season. As for Cunha, he's now just 17 hat-tricks short of Wolves club record goalscorer Steve Bull, who's leading the way for hat-tricks with an incredible 18. Now, here come the quiz answers, and they're brought to us by Mina. Hello, and here are your answers for this week's flashback quiz. Feeling confident? How will you score? Let's see. Question 1. What was the name of the stamp introduced in 1840? The answer, the Penny Black. Question 2. Where did Royal Mail have its own underground railway? And the answer here is, it was London. Question 3. What did Royal Mail do in the 1800s to fix their mouse problems? They recruited cats. Question 4. How many deliveries of post per day was once enjoyed? And the answer here is an amazing seven times per day. Question 5. How many rubber bands does Royal Mail use? And the answer here is 340 million. And finally, question 6. Other than our late Queen, who is the only head to be placed on our stamps during her reign? And the answer... It was that of William Shakespeare. Did you get them all right? If not, not to worry, as I will be back next week to test you all once again. Bye for now. Are you ready to get moving? Well, let's hope so, because up next we have the 10 Today Workout. I'm exhausted just listening to it. TNF Soundings 
features from across the UK. Hello everyone, this is 10 Today, a 10-minute set of exercises to do at home to help keep yourself active. Before we get to today's presenter, a couple of housekeeping points to note. The 10 Today project is funded by the Big Lottery and Sport England, and when you're doing the exercises, it's important that you don't push yourself too far, and by taking part, you agree to 10 Today's terms and conditions. You can read these terms and conditions at tnflink.uk forward slash 10T, and the 10T is the digit 1, the digit 0, and the letter T. And please remember that you agree to take part at your own risk. Today's exercises are brought to you by Peter, and here he is. Hello everyone, welcome to 10 Today, where we focus on stretching. This is a short 10-minute physical activity routine which will get you moving and stretching. It's great for your health, including improving your balance and building up your strength. Just take it at your own pace. There are plenty of options. If remaining seated, at least to begin with, it will be ideal if you can use a hard chair so that you can sit upright, preferably without arms, which can get in the way of some exercises. We'll start with your feet flat on the floor. OK, if you are standing up, just step your feet hip width apart. Relax your shoulders and stand up nice and tall. Take a couple of deep breaths. If you're sitting down, place both feet firmly on the floor. Keep your back straight, relax your shoulders and take a couple of deep breaths. In, out, in, out. So, we are going to start with a calf stretch, so if you're standing, have your feet facing forward and step your right foot out in front of you with your foot flat on the floor and then bend into that right leg, keeping your leg straight. Put your hands on your right thigh and hold this position, feeling that stretch in the back of your leg. If you're sitting, straighten out your right leg and place your heel on the floor so your toes are pointing upwards, keeping your left leg bent with your foot flat on the floor and put your hands on your right thigh and lean forward. You should feel that nice stretch in your straight leg. The important thing about stretching is that when you feel the muscles start to stretch, just hold it there. Don't take it any further. So hold that stretch for 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Now we are going to swap legs. So if you're standing with your feet facing forward, step forward your left foot and bend into that left leg, keeping your back straight. The weight should be on the left foot. And if you're sitting, straighten out your left leg and put your heel on the floor with your toes pointing up and then keep your right leg bent. Put your hands on your bent thigh and lean your chest slightly forward into the stretch. You should feel that nice stretch in your straight leg. Hold for 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Next, we're going to do a hamstring stretch. 
feet facing forward, step forward with your right foot, placing your foot out in front of you with your foot flat on the floor. Keep this leg straight, then bend your left leg and put your hands on your hips and just lean the chest forward gently. Remember to keep your back straight. Whether you're sitting or standing, you should feel a nice stretch down the back of your leg. Hold for 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Then return to an upright position and swap your legs. So this time, step forward with your left foot, placing your foot out in front of you with your foot flat on the floor, then bend your right leg and just lean forward gently. Again, feeling that nice long stretch. Hold for 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Next up, we have a few head and neck stretches. Starting with the head tilt forward, tilt your head gently forward uh, as if you're nodding nice and slowly and then return upright and just do that a couple more times so nodding nice and slowly downwards and return upright keep going slowly so that should feel a nice stretch in your neck and the final neck stretch head rotation turn your head to the right slowly as if you're looking over your right shoulder then return to middle then turn your head to the left slowly as if you're looking over your left shoulder and just keep going looking from left to right slowly feeling that nice stretch in your neck so for this next one bend your right arm and bend it over your head so your hand is touching your back like you're going to scratch your back and your elbow is next to your ear with your other hand, press gently on your elbow and feel that nice stretch in your arm. Hold for 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Then release. Then do the same on the other side, so bending your arm over your head with your hand on your back and placing your other hand on your elbow and pressing gently, feeling that nice stretch down your arm. Hold for 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Now we have the side stretch. Stand or sit up tall. Raise your right arm high with your palm facing up, then lean slightly over to your left side nice and slowly feeling that stretch all along your right side try to keep your body straight and hold for 10 9 8 7 6 5 4 3 2 1 now return back to the center lean your left hand over and feel that stretch all the way down your left side and hold for 10 9 8 7 6 5 4 3 2 1 So the next one is a chest stretch. So open out both your arms to the side so that your chest sticks out a little and you can feel a nice stretch all the way across your chest. Just a little bit 
like a long lost friend is coming towards you and you are going to give them one big hug. So with your arms open wide, feeling that stretch across your chest. Keep holding here for 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Next up is a trunk rotation. What we mean by your trunk is your upper body. Stand or sit up tall, straight back. Place your hands on your hips and slowly look to your left, feeling your upper body rotate. So bring in the right shoulder in front and return gently to centre and then slowly look to the right, bringing the left shoulder in front, feeling your upper body rotate. Now keep going a few more times, nice and slowly. Great work, everyone. If you're standing, remember to keep your knees soft. And the final stretch, hugging a tree. Just hold your arms out in front of you, just like you are hugging a tree, directly in front of you. Your arms form a nice circle in front, and then cup your hands, putting one hand in front of the other, and push your hands together, feeling that nice stretch across your shoulders and arms. Hold for 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Now sit up or stand up and return to that nice relaxed posture we had at the beginning. Brilliant. So that's the end of the stretching session. I hope you feel loose and revitalised. Just to finish off, shake it out. So just shake those arms and hands, then legs and feet. Great work, everybody. Doing 10 today just three times a week can have a great health benefit. It's fun and you simply feel better. So keep going. TNF Soundings. So that's it for another edition of the Black Country Talking News. A reminder to our CD listeners who have received CDs in padded envelopes that you don't need to send anything back to us. If you have a sight loss tip or someone you would like to wish a happy birthday to, just say hello to. Maybe even a poem or talking book you would like reviewed, then please get in touch with us at the Beacon Centre. Call 01902 880 Email bctn at beaconvision.org or write to us at the Black Country Talking News, Beacon, Wolverhampton Road East, Wolverhampton, WV46AZ. We look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for listening and thank you to all our supporters, donators and volunteers who without their support will be unable to run this free service. Please note the information and views expressed in this recording does not necessarily represent the views of Beacon or Talking News and were accurate at the time of recording. Mentions of goods and services does not imply endorsement and whilst every care is taken to supply accurate information, Beacon and Talking News do not undertake liability for any errors. So it's goodbye from all of us, stay safe, have a good week and we look forward to bringing you next week's edition of the Black Country Talking News. Ta-ra!